and zebras and spoonies. Thank you for coming and hanging out with me. I'm glad that you're here. So today I'm just going to kind of give an update of life, the universe, and everything that is me. Um, so just kind of some backstory is that I have endometriosis and oh, with that I've had a lot of pain which has been progressively getting worse over the last five to six years and I have a marina IUD that I've been using to control the bleeding and pain and it's not really doing the job that I need it to do anymore. So my um, OBGYN doc was not really super excited about changing my treatment plan and well frequently commented that I am almost at the age of menopause by the way that's we're talking 15 years 15 years doesn't really count as almost to me and um yeah, I'd like to have some pain control and not just be miserable for the next 15 years while I wait for menopause to kick in and make my endometriosis like settle down. So there's that. Um, so I went and got a second opinion and there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. I don't know about any of you all, but I have had a lot of history of providers not taking me seriously and my symptoms being dismissed and being treated poorly in general in the medical field. And because of that, it's very difficult for me to go to a new doctor without a lot of anxiety. And that has been made a lot worse over the last two years because generally speaking, I am not able to have um, support present with me when I go into those appointments because we're not allowed to have um, other people with us. Normally, my husband comes to me with all my appointments um, to be emotional support through the process. And that's especially important for me when I am meeting a new provider. I don't think that most healthcare providers really appreciate the way that trauma through the healthcare system really affects patients and our ability to seek health care and how hard it is for us to see a new doctor and to have to go through the process of explaining our history and putting ourselves out there and hoping that we're taken seriously and that we're believed and that we get the care that we really do deserve. So there's been quite a bit of stress for me you know, over the last month while I was waiting for this appointment because of the anxiety that builds up as this appointment came closer. However, I can happily report that this appointment went really well. Um, my new provider did take me seriously and we had some really good discussion about the pros and cons of different treatment options. And we did settle on a new treatment plan and just like any treatment plan, it may or may not work. We don't know. But at least we're trying something. And that makes me hopeful that I can get some better um, pain control. And I think the thing that's most promising is that this particular provider listened and believed me when I said that my pain was out of control and was at a level that 
I really couldn't manage anymore. And also talked about the steps that would come next if this treatment plan was not successful. So it wasn't just like, well, this is going to be it. This is your one option. Like she completely recognized that this might not work. And if it doesn't work, you know, we talked about what's next. So um, where the progesterone in the marina has been managing my symptoms pretty well historically, the thought process was that it is likely that the endometriosis is outside of the uterus is what is causing me the increased pain. And so we're going to go with a um, oral progesterone tablet that I take every day in the idea that a systemic progesterone would be able to address the endometriosis that is not within the uterus where the IUD can't reach. Um, and then if that doesn't work, the next step would to be actually doing the gold standard diagnostic procedure to be 100% sure that we are looking at endometriosis. Um, because while I do have all the symptoms of endometriosis, there's only one way to be 100% sure of the endometriosis diagnosis, and that is to do a laparoscopic procedure where they put the camera into your, your abdominal cavity and look for um, those little pieces of tissue that are not where you know, they're supposed to be. Um, MRIs and ultrasounds and CT scans do not definitively diagnose endometriosis because the endometrial tissue, generally speaking, does not show on these diagnostic imaging. So even if you have imaging done, generally speaking, it's not going to show the endometriosis with the exception if you have um, uh, endometrial uh, growths that are like really huge and, and take on almost a um, tumor quality. Um, and I think they're called endometrionomas. You know, so if you end up with something in that category, then you can kind of definitively make the diagnosis, but usually then you're just gonna say, well, you got a tumor and they go in and they take it out and then they're like, yeah, it was an endometrial tumor. So, I think part of my frustration is that I have had these symptoms for the majority of my life. I really started struggling with my symptoms back when I was 15, 16 years old. I'm 40 now. So most of my life I've struggled with these symptoms. And throughout all this time of being treated, I think my biggest frustration is the lack of 100% surety that this is even the right diagnosis. So I might have all this time been struggling with good control and good management because we're treating the wrong thing. So there's that level of frustration for me, but there's also the reality that with my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, a lot of risk comes into play in breaking the peritoneal cavity. Um, we have a lot of risk for herniations and prolapses. And when you compromise the 
muscular wall of the abdomen cavity, it increases the risk of things that we're already at pretty high risk for. So we try to avoid doing that with people who have um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I mean, really, we try to avoid doing it with anybody, but especially for people who have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So on the one hand, I do understand the reluctance to do the diagnostic procedure to be sure of my diagnosis. But on the other hand, as a patient, it's very frustrating not having the surety of that diagnosis while my symptoms continue to be poorly controlled. <sighs> so we're going to give this hormonal treatment um, two months and see if it improves my symptoms. And I'm hoping that it also does not make my hope mobility worse since progesterone symptom uh, has a history of, you know, is correlated with, I should say, of making women more hypermobile. Like that's part of its role is to prepare you for um, labor and carrying a baby. So it's supposed to make your your joints more lax so that when you give birth, those joints can move in your pelvis so that the baby can pass through without causing the mom harm and trauma. So the downside to using progesterone in my case is that where I have hypermobility already, there is a risk that I will start having more issues with joint stability and an increased number of subluxations. I'm hoping that this isn't the case. Um, I have definitely reached the point in my life that I am in the stiffening phase of Ehlers-Danlos and my mobility is definitely decreasing. So it is less likely to be an issue at this stage of my illness, but it's still a risk factor and it's something that we just kind of have to wait and see how it plays out. But I do feel like the risk of subluxations is less than the risk that comes with having a laparoscopic procedure. So this is kind of the way that you have to look at things when you have chronic illness is that there's this constant, no perfect answer. You know, there's no perfect risk-free way of treating things you always have to look at like what is the lesser of two evils and what is the risk factors that, that you're willing to take on. Um, and I talk about this a lot that when you have chronic illness, you don't get to have treatment that is risk-free. Even choosing not to treat comes with risk. So yeah. Um, I just want to use this as an example of how you have to look at the pros and cons of not treating and then the pros and cons of different options for treatment is that we always have to sit there and, and say, you know, what is the best option for me and what risk factors am I comfortable with? So that's kind of been the stuff that I've been dealing with this month. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I'm at with life, the universe and everything. And I'm feeling pretty optimistic in that even if this new medication does not help, I'm confident that this provider will continue to pursue treatment options and isn't going to leave me in really high uncontrolled pain the way that I have been for the last five, six years. So that makes me feel really good. Um, I just want to remind everybody that you don't have to stay with a physician that is not 
um, fighting your case that's not working towards the same goals as you are because it is your body and it is your 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 life you're the one that has to live with the consequences of the choices being made so when a healthcare provider looks at you and says well your pain is good enough your control of your pain is good enough and you just don't agree with that and you don't feel like your pain is well controlled you always have the right and always should go and get a second opinion you know the you're not stuck with this one person. So please always advocate for yourself. And I feel like I had some success in self-advocating this time around. Doesn't always go this well. Sometimes I see a new provider and I, I feel like they're just as bad as the provider I left. But yeah, keep looking for answers if you feel like the doctor that you're talking to isn't hearing you and isn't fighting on your side. Um, I hope that all of you are well and that you are all um, in a place of good stability. So you guys take care and until we meet again, stay well.